0: may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth to you.org that's truth number two letter you.org it's season two of torah pearls i'm John, and joining me in the virtual truth to you studio all the way from ireland is jason of spiritual g'day mate G'day, hi everybody And in Indonesia is the author of Let's Get Biblical, Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah Volumes 1 and 2 You can get a copy from his website, outreachjudaism.org That's outreachjudaism.org Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Tobias Singer Wonderful to be here guys Wonderful to have both of you We are in, boy we're getting close to the end, this is the third last Torah portion, Nitzvahim, and it begins in uh, chapter 29, verse 10. It goes like this All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes, and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp. From the one who cuts the wood to the one who draws your water. Oh. Now that's that's interesting, isn't it? The one who draw the one who cuts your wood and the one who draws your water. Later on in Joshua, uh, Tavio, we we hear about uh, some people who. Deceive Joshua, saying that they'd come from a very far land. Uh, it turns out that uh, that they were lying, and Joshua says to them, "Right, you know, we'll allow you guys to live because we've made a covenant with you. But you will be drawing our water and cutting our wood from here on, right?"
1: Right. That's exactly correct. They turned it turned into trouble. Turned to a problem. And there were people in Jewish tradition. There were people among the nation of Israel who themselves were not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were allowed to live among the Jewish people as long as they were, as long as they uh, guided themselves by the principles for those who were not Jewish. And they were standing there as well. Everyone was standing. The word, the the. This is a um, just a very powerful portion. Uh, This portion is always read before Rosh Hashanah, Mm -hmm. and and you'll see why in a moment, it's a rather small portion, but it's massive in scope, it's uh, just... There's a lot in it. Well, I I should just, maybe just, we'll just remark about this week's, uh, two remarks about this week's portion. Sure. so this portion is very, very much resembles the theme of the prophets in that, as you're going to see, we're going to encounter what's going to come into view is very harsh punishments. Remember, it's we talked last week, we discussed in the portion about those who sin privately or in secretly mm-hmm. and those who do not hold the covenant. Terrible things will occur, and it very much resembles what you see in Joel, what you see in uh, in the first chapter of Isaiah, and the theme in the especially the latter prophets is uh, we're talking about latter prophets, about fifteen books is that first we have very harsh criticism to the point we think maybe God gave up on us, maybe there's no hope at all. Very profound in the book of Hosea, Hosea's three children are. are are signs to the Northern Kingdom. But then there's the restoration and the comfort. That's exactly how this portion is divided into two parts. One section is, uh, the first, chapter 29, is going to convey very harsh um, criticism in chapter 30 is going to be this great comfort. It's mm-hmm. not an accident that Isaiah chapter 2, the very next chapter has it in all the great, towering, epic, messianic prophecies. Uh, one, other, just a, uh, one other point, um, maybe I'll save this, but uh, we, we, this is so deeply connected to Deuteronomy 28, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. As we said, Deuteronomy 28, the the portion we just read, contains the blessings and the curse. And there's a parallel chapter in Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26 ends with comfort, meaning God says... I will not utterly destroy you lest I break my covenant Mm. that I made with you. You remember that. We went through that together. Mm. And in traditional Jewish thought, Nachmanides emphasizes that this really points to the destruction of the first temple. Deuteronomy 28 has 98 curses or punishments outlined. It's just an enormous chapter. And what's very sh- noticeably, what's very strikingly absent is there's no comfort. Like there's nothing to catch you at the end of Deuteronomy 28. There's nothing there. Just It just shocks you, and there's nothing at the end. There's no kiss. There's no hug. There's nothing like, I will leave over a remnant. So that's very striking. What is vital as we walk through Need seventeen? Together and stand in itself, which means stand, but to stand with great strength, which is unimaginable after hearing those chapters, chapter 28, is that the, the curses are much greater. In traditional thought, the curses of Deuteronomy 28 correlate to the destruction of the Second Temple and the exile that would follow. But what we're going to see in a moment in chapter 29, in chapter 30, is towering blessings much greater, mm. in a sense, than we saw back in Leviticus. So, in meaning we're going to see the complete restoration of the Jewish people in, in, the in, 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 on an epic level. We're going to see that soon. So, it's very powerful as we're going through this together. Jason, what are you dropping there in the background?
2: Oh, man, I don't know what's going on. Can you hear that noise, that weird noise? <laughs> What was that?
1: I don't know. He got so excited when he heard me explaining the. Portion. I know
2: that was very loud in my earphones. I will tell you that.
0: <laughs> that was and, in your earphones, was it? it was. I could hear it. And it was super loud. I'm deaf now. <laughs> Yikes! What's going through your mind? You had a note on on verse ten.
2: I did. Um, I just want to carry on um, a little bit from where Tovia is. So in. You know, last week we heard all about these curses in, in um, 28. And then 29 starts with a remembrance that God's brought them through everything so far and that they kind of get a choice. Um, and I imagine that left the people feeling pretty down. Uh, you know, th- they've been told that um, their life really depends on their actions from now on. The curses far outweighed the blessings in mm-hmm. mass. Um, but one simple good life, you know how does how can you even um, counterpoint that with a terrible um, amount of curses? One good life is outweighs any amount of curses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it interesting that this starts. You're standing here this day before the Lord in that, um, regardless of everything that's happened so far, regardless of the fact that you whined and you grieved and you argued and you. Um, went away from what you were instructed and you worshipped idols and you neglected um, the rules and you, you weren't happy you did all these things but, but still you're standing this day before the Lord your God um, with all of your leaders um, with all of your uh, your children, with the people that have joined you and your wives and even down to these woodcutters and uh, water drawers. Now interestingly mm-hmm. as, as you mentioned earlier and Tavia referenced there is some tradition that they were um, Canaanites mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's, that references, um, Joshua 9. But I think it's way cool that they still get th- this Torah portion still starts with remembrance after this week, last week's kind of butt kick. Um, mm. that they're still standing here and they get a choice. Brilliant. Um, and I was, uh, yeah. we're here now with, um, Rosh Hashanah coming up next week. Um, for, you know, that's really swiftly followed by Yom Kippur time. And, and this period is really about judging yourself, looking into your soul, seeing what you can change. Um, how you can change yourself and um, become a new person, right? You get a chance to reinvent yourself. And that's exactly what I think is happening at the beginning here. You are given the information last week about um, the choices you can make and what the results of those choices could be. And now here we are, we're we're standing before a brand new year, a brand new adventure, and in the Torah portion, um, a brand new journey. Um, And you get to stand up before your creator with the information and decide what to do. So Indeed. I just want to remind people that this, or oh, this is a positive start for the people. They get this is a fresh, a fresh reinvention of themselves. Hmm. Yeah,
1: I wanted to highlight what Jace. Jason- said because uh, the fact that they're still standing, Jason emphasized that in in all of our sacred literature of our sages they all echo what Jason just said, the fact that they're standing, and the word is a very strong word for standing today, is that they really are shocked at the curses that they just heard, and they're standing all today and, and as we'll see, not only the woodcutters, as Jason pointed out we're going to see even future generations who had not been born yet are included in this even according to jewish tradition every jewish soul that would ever live in the future in history were present their soul was present receiving these words that were given to them uh, only by the way we're only hours away from Moses' death we're only maybe a day or two these Mm -hmm. this is the these are the final words of moses and you can see the full force of this the strength of these words I, you could see, as Jason said, this really all the blessings and curses really affected the people. I, I remember years ago, I, I lectured in in Connecticut, and uh, after a program, it was it was pretty late at night, and I had to drive back to New York. And I ask them, you know, when you come out of a lecture, you ask them, well, how do I get back on the highway to get back home? And they start saying, you go down this turn, that turn, that turn. And I have no sense of direction. I always envy the sea turtles that fig- come out, figure out how to... Tr- how to swim and halfway across the world to find out where they came from. I never figured out how they do that, but I can get lost in the shower. I have no sense of direction. <laughs> I did. I just, I don't know. I'm missing that chromosome where I just, sure. I get in the car. If there was no GPS, forget about it. And I remember I was wanting to get home. It was late, late, late at night. And I just got in the car and I really, I really put my foot down on the and I just flew, didn't really pay attention to the information that was given to me. And I was flying on Interstate 95, which is like 2,000 miles. It goes from the northern part of the U.S. on the east to the south. So, Where did you end up? Well, you wouldn't believe what happens. As I'm flying, and I'm, I'm burning rubber. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I just want to get home. I realize that I'm going north. 95 instead of south, I'm going right. in the wrong direction. Oh man, so I just get off. I'm in a place called Bridgeport, Connecticut. I just have to get off the highway to turn around under the highway to go south on this very famous interstate that goes through all the way through New York down to Florida. Right. So I have to go south. So I turn around and I drive under the highway, and as I'm driving on the highway, it's not the nicest area in Connecticut is off. I like Connecticut cuz it's smaller than the state of Israel. It's only one of four states like that. But I, there was like police cars everywhere with siren lights on. It was a very bad neighborhood. It was you a could, rough it, neighborhood. It was a rough neighborhood and here I right. am and I'm driving into this whole police barricade of lights flashing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and there was a crowd and people being, don't ask what happened. What's going on this? I know it's like a scene in a movie. Yeah. And I decide this is not a good idea. So I drive and start making, I back up to make a K turn, like to make a U turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn around. And the cop starts waving at me. I didn't know what he wanted, so I just kept turning. And then they started screaming and they pulled out the guns. <laughs> And pointed at me. Yeah, yeah. And I rolled my window, I didn't know what hit me. And two cops, they had guns pointed out and and I'm like sitting. there, And they said they screamed, "Shut off the engine!" Because I see what I was. I drove into. I was driving. I don't say recklessly, but I was driving very. I I drove into this police thing, and then I spun around to get away yeah. from it. Yeah. They didn't. So they, suddenly they drew guns pointing right at me. Shut off your car and like I never what. So I put the car in park and I. Yeah. Turn the engine off, and they scream, "Get your hands on the steering wheel!" <laughs> so <laughs> I put my hands on the steering, and I'm like, Sir, "What's going Man. on here? What's happening here? This is supposed to be Connecticut. is supposed to be an upper cross state. How does, this? What's going on here?" And then, so they. I, I so what are you doing? I don't even remember. It was like a, so. I just said, "Look, I'm the rabbi. I was speaking to at the congregation here," yeah. and I just realized I was going north instead of south. The, the police officer realized that, you know, that what... You he just was, happened upon yeah. the situation. Yeah, and then he said, okay, you know, eventually after he... Then they all, they, they holstered their, their, their guns. And I, I decided was, not to shoot you. Yeah, okay, I should have been good. wearing diapers that day. Anyway, <laughs> I... I um, And they oh. find, yeah, so then they, they said, okay, turn around and go. Let me tell you, after that incident, I never... I was so shocked. It was so it so affected me so deeply to, no one ever pointed a gun at me that I know yeah. of that I, I was very careful in the future it shook me to the core, I very careful in the future how I drove and what this and not to spin U-turns in the middle of a thing, I mean it really did affect me very, very deeply so the people are very shocked and it's very important, as we go into this, people are stunned by what they had just experienced and this portion is so intimately, umbilically connected to the previous, you're going to see how deeply connected it is where we talk about hidden matters those are public and the people are standing there and it affects them very
0: very deeply Mm, yeah it goes on verse 12 uh, jason says that you may enter into covenants with the lord your god and into his oath which lord your god makes with you today
2: yeah i just wanted to point out because often especially those of us that read this in the english when we read enter into, we often look at that like we're entering into a house, right? Or we're entering into a park. Mm-hmm. There's something with a big fence around it, and we're walking through the gate and we're inside it. Um, but really what it says is that you're passing through the covenant. And that is much more like last week. Uh, I think it was last week. We see this, um, these two stones put up. And on the stones, we've mm-hmm. got all yes. of the law of the Torah. Now, there's no fence around those stones, that's two stones are put up, people walk through them into the land, now they're under, under those laws, and that's exactly what's happening here. The covenant isn't something which you can dip in and out of, you choose to undertake it, and then that's it, you're, you're through it, you're done. Excellent um, point, yeah. And I just wanted that, because it doesn't read that way, you know, when you say you enter into something, sometimes you think that's like a contract, but then you can go and somehow break or get, find a loophole mm-hmm. in a contract. That's not it. It's the once, it's a one-time deal. And mm-hmm. um, when you're in, you're in. Very
0: good. goes on to say that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he spoke to you and just as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, it goes on in, in verse 14, I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as him who is not here with mm. us today. And that's everyone who was to be born, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is that right, Tobia?
1: Yeah, this is, and again, you know, you know, I'll tell you this. When I was a child, and uh, I, you know, growing up in Yeshiva, never interacting with the outside world who are not Jewish except running away from them, I, uh, I, I we learned about the fact that all those who, every Jewish soul was present at Mount, at Mount Sinai. But when I learned about Yeshiva as a youngster, so it's in all of our literature, I, it, you know, you read it, it's very beautiful, But it's like Jason said, there's a difference in walking through but actually experiencing it. And, you know, for the last 30 years of my life, more than that, I've experienced observing. We all have observed people from around the world. Was so drawn to the Jewish people, so drawn to the Torah, coming out of the church, coming out of the, the mm-hmm. furthest most islands, which I'm in right now, where thousands of people are, are returning to the God of Israel. So we see that these people, they just have, and we've all encountered them, and there are many of our listeners, people listening to the show right now. Who very many of you are are people who, as a child, had no idea that you had any anything Jewish and suddenly anything Jewish, anything Hebrew, anything has to do with the land of Israel you just drawn to and in jewish so here we really are observing with our own eyes mm. this tradition that in fact all this covenant wasn't something that just happened thirty three hundred years ago. But if, in fact, this continues to this day and souls are being drawn before our eyes back to the people of Israel, the land of Israel and the Torah of, of, of,
0: that God gave to us. So, the the next couple of verses is something that you, Toby, you've you've emphasized this point uh, a couple of times before, because it's mentioned a couple of times before, but this highlights it again in a a different way, and I'd like to highlight it uh, as well. I know what you're going to say, yeah. You know, so it says, for for you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, and that we came through the nations which you passed by and you saw their abominations and their idols, which were among them, wood, stone, silver and gold. Now the thing that's interesting about this, Tobia, is that this is past tense. It's like You remember when we walked, we walked through and there was and there were uh, all the abominations, the the idolatry of the nations that we went through and they had idols of wood and and stone, silver and gold. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, that in our last Torah portion from uh, chapter 28, verse 64, it says uh, that the Lord will scatter you and this is. Future tense. This is something that hasn't happened yet. The Lord will scatter you among all the peoples. Now it's happened, but but then they, they had no idea from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve gods which neither you nor your fathers have known: wood and stone. Now here, where we are in, in our Torah portion of today, it's wood and stone, silver and gold. And of course, you know you, the, the idols. Mm. Of course, you would expect silver and gold, but in the future, it's not so. It's just wood and stone. And you you made the uh, uh, the observation as the sages have in the past, would the crucifix, stone the cover.
1: Right. Those who wish to study this more extensively, Nachmanides writes about this a considerable amount, that this, the Deuteronomy 28, and the punishments that we see that are so harsh, that really is a description of the second destruction, destruction of the second temple, which our exile is so much longer and there's so much more damage to the land of Israel, which is going to come into view in a moment. And in fact, it's not going to be the idols of of gold and silver, which is you know, but it's really it's wooden stone. That's going to be that's unique to the our exile that had the Roman exile that beg- that was two thousand years ago in the year seventy. That's correct. It, mm-hmm. it all fits in. just very I find very that
0: fascinating. Com- comparing those two uh, little passages, I find that fascinating. So it continues, verse eighteen. So there may not be among you any man or woman or family or, or tribe whose heart turns away uh, today from the Lord our God and go and serve other gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root-bearing business or wormwood. That's an interesting way to say it. Well, root-bearing-
1: well, yeah, well, well, this is very interesting. Just, I want to just just let you feel the texture here. A man or a woman who feels in his heart, you notice the text is, is alluding to something that's private, in inner thinking, an in inner reflection. Maybe, I don't... All anyway, I'm going to take the covenant, but inside my heart, it's not. So, what the, What it's saying is that they're going to be a root which is going to take ground. You know, if you ever planted... So, first the, you put the seed in, first it has to take root, and then something comes out of it. Wormwood, incidentally, we'll probably... We'll see it in the land of... I think we'll see it in the land of Israel. We'll see it when we go near the Negev, all over the places wormwood, which is oh. a very, very... Uh, bitter taste to it, so what begins as a root, and the root of a wormwood doesn't have a bitter taste, but the the, the a wormwood is a, like a bush, a shrub, sort of, that uh, is all over uh, very arid areas. There's mm. a very, very bitter taste to it, so what begins is just a thought. What begins as the private matter, I don't know, I'm not sure, is going to be something that's going to be horrific that's going
0: to come, that's going to emerge of it. Right because it goes on to say and, and so that it may not happen that when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying ah, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. And that's another interesting uh, way to put it because I mean you know if everyone's at a party and they've all had a few drinks then you know they're. They're, they're all in the same boat. But if you take one of them and put them in a group of sober people, they stick out like a sore thumb, right?
1: Yeah. The, the, what's also in view there, this, this is, by the way, very similar language, but different. These are, these are euphemisms. A person may say, well, first of all, the word is v'hisborech balvavoy, which you translated perfectly. V'hisborech is reflexive. A person will, you know, b'arech means to bless, like baruch ato. V'hisborech means... means and a person will bless himself. <laughs> mm. It's a, it's very delicious the Torah. So his bar, a person's gonna bless himself. I'm okay. I'm doing okay. You know, I'm gonna have peace. And therefore, because a person is behaving that way, then I'm gonna be okay. He thinks that well, maybe if I'm acting like a drunk, I'll be counted. You know, maybe it won't be so harsh because after all, a person's drunk, they're not. They're not really totally in control of their requisite intellect, but God is going to count them among those who are thirsty, in a sense, that those who are doing something with knowledge, meaning who have not had strong drink. So it's mm-hmm. very powerful. And then you're going to see here that God is good. The next verse, God will Indeed. not let you get away with we'll this. Is not, not gonna be, This is not an unintentional thing. Oh, someone was drunk. He will not spare such a person. Again, this is the secret. This theme fits perfectly in. Remember the curses I asked? We talked about what was the 12 curses? Sins that are committed in secret. So
0: here, Mm. this is all connected to what we had before. It says, uh, The Lord would not spare him, for the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man. Every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. The Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of the law. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from afar would say when they see the plagues of the land and the sickness which the Lord has laid on it, the whole land is brimstone, brimstone, salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there like the overthrow of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admar, Zeboim. Well, Admar and Zeboim. Now, we know about Sodom and Gomorrah, Toby.
1: Yeah, so this is, this is very powerful, and I feel like chills all over. So, this is precisely what happened with the destruction of the Second Temple. If you look at all the patristic writings, all the... Ex- Everything, all of the church fathers with a single voice pointed to the land of Israel and its destruction said, look how cursed the land of Israel is. Nothing grows there. The Jews were expelled from the land. Every one of them did, without exception. They all pointed to the destruction of the land of Israel, destruction of the Jewish commonwealth. Had nothing grows there. Nothing happens there. And this is the curse that happened to the Jewish people because they did not. And this is to an extreme extent expressed in an old, what's called the Epistle of Barnabas. This is unique all to the destruction of the Second Temple. The Babylonians were not saying this when the First Temple was destroyed. There's no kind of expression like this in that 70-year exile. And, and, you know, people might think, well, maybe this was back then. This was, you know, seventeen, eighteen hundred 1800 years ago when the Nicene church fathers expressed this. I, it, you know, I just want to share with the, with our listeners you know, going back just to the 19th century, Mark Twain um, mm. visited the land of Israel. It was in 1867. Now, we're going on a tour of the land of Israel from the north to the south, and you're going to see everywhere things growing delicious and full trees and everything. You could make brachas all over the place, but mm. just if you... I just Mark Twain in eighteen sixty seven he traveled throughout this region and he published his impressions of his travels uh called in a book called Innocence Abroad that I think was published in, in eighteen sixty nine. And I just, I want to quote, if I may, Please. Mark Twain, who probably is the most most well-known American writer. Just some his observations of the land of Israel. And think about how how much this, how strong these words are, and how much they contrast with what you see today. Listen to these words. He describes what he sees as a desolate country, Hmm. Soil is rich enough, but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse, a desolation. We never saw a human being on the whole route. He's describing his travels. Hmm. Hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere, even the olive tree and cactus. Those fast friends of worthless soil had almost deserted the country. No landscape exists that is more tiresome to the eye than that which bounds the approaches to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a mournful, dreary, lifeless, Place Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, the bills are barren, they're yeah. dull of color, and so this is his description is precisely this. That the this is only eight. This is only eighteen sixty seven. There's nothing seeing nothing in this and he ends by saying palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes palestine is desolate and unlovely and why should it be otherwise can the curse of the deity and mark twain wasn't the most religious man in the world but he writes these words can the curse of the deity beautiful beautify a land Palestine is no more of this work, day, world, it is sacred to poetry and tradition, it is a, it is dreamland. And he mm. describes it as unbelievable, just nothing grows here, there's a place of
0: complete desolation. So it says all nations would say, why has the Lord done this to the land? What does the heat of his great anger mean? Then the people would say because they have forsaken the covenants of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, for they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods they did not know that he had not given them. This is the important Barama,
1: gods they didn't know. The Torah is emphasizing something very important. If someone introduces to you an idea about God that your dad your father didn't know your grandfather didn't know stay away from it that means the Jewish people are a Baram that means the, the what the nation carries from father to son that is a, we are a living the nation of Israel is a living testimony if someone introduces something that we believe in one God but there's multiple persons that there if your grandfather didn't know anything about such an idea stay away from it and that's mm. the key the nation is a witness you are my witnesses the nation bears testimony to the document and therefore there's always you don't find this in in any other religion where you say well if your fathers didn't know maybe your fathers were wrong no the Torah is saying Mm. follow your fathers your fathers carrying on if someone's teaching something that your great-grandparents didn't know about stay away
0: from it Mm, excellent verse 27 then the anger of the Lord was aroused against the land to bring on it every curse that is written in the book and the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. Jason, verse 29, it says, The secret things belong, this is what I've got in my translation, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but those things which were revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law.
2: Yeah, you know, um, this is only something I was looking at a few months ago and uh, because I've come from a different uh, tradition that has tried to explain this to me in a number of ways. Um, most recently, um, I was told that this represents our study of the Torah and that we should only um, study the parts which are really applicable and obvious and that anything deeper than that isn't for us, which kind of takes us out of context, because what this verse is really saying is more about the um, the this, the secret and the obvious wickedness in the person or a community's life rather than um, how you were going to go about living the words that have been given. So it, basically, um, the the question here is, all right, well, so we have this community, and there are two people in this community who outwardly maybe are living really great lives, but inwardly are keeping idols in their bedrooms and they're praying to other gods. Mm-hmm. Are you then going to punish everybody for that? I mean, it's not our fault. We We're not responsible for this. But it's saying that, the the hidden things um, that are not that the community can't possibly do anything about that God will deal with those um, but as a community, as a people you are responsible for each other and keeping everyone on um, the straight and narrow, keeping everyone pointed towards God um, and I just want to—I know Toby wants to jump in here, but I need to oh, go no. over to the next. Everything
1: you're saying is per- is so delicious, beautiful.
2: <laughs> I wanna, But I, I need to go over the next two lines as well because it's kind of all tied is. together. Um So, in when we flip over to the um, next chapter, it says, "And so it will be that when these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, that you will consider in your heart among all the nations where the Lord God has banished you, and you will return to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and you will listen to His voice according." According to all that I am commanding you to this day and to your children, then the mm. Lord will God your God will bring back your exiles and he will have mercy on you um, He will once again gather you from all your nations where the Lord mm. your God has dispersed you now this is super interesting because often when we ask about um so I've been looking at um rep- repentance to these that this concept what it means. Um, how, I mean, do you really have to travel back to God? Isn't God everywhere? How does that occur? What happens? And there's, so this concept of, of um, repentance and redemption of teshuva and redemption is completely laid up in this, in these first few lines. It says that if. You return to your Lord, your God, with all your heart and your soul, and you listen to His voice mm. that He's commanding you. And if your children do the same, then you'll receive redemption, in mm. that your people will come back. You'll be in the land that you were promised. You'll be given all the all the blessings and all the goodness that He's promised you, and all the seed of Abraham. Uh, it's the whole of um, what tissue there is there. If you return to your God. He will deliver to you everything that he promises. I mean, it's amazing three lines of text in the first um, Mm. three lines of chapter 30 here. Mm. But they are really strongly connected to the previous line of the last chapter. And it's a shame there's a chapter break there. But um, 30 begins with an and. It's really important. I don't know if that's in every translation.
1: This is really what Jason said really is a prophecy that, in fact... I, the the words of, when all these things come upon you, what will happen is that your heart will return to the Lord your God. It's a prophecy that the Jews will return. Incidentally, in Christian theology, this is absolutely impossible. I mean, look what's happening here. What Jason says is, is fantastic, that your heart will return to Hashem. And then what will God do in turn? And God then will return to you. And that's the theme we find Mm. all over, that return to God, and then God will return to you. You make that first step to God, and uh, our sages have a very famous maxim... Habbol Messiah say that the person who comes to purify himself, the person who comes and circumcises his own flesh as his own heart will God will then circumcise his heart, which means God will then bring that person into full. Complete redemption. It's really mm. it's magnificent. If you see the way this plays, if you when you return, God will return. There's nothing here about anyone dying for anybody's sins. This very much echoes First Kings eight with King Solomon building the first temple. It must have been a glorious moment. Who wouldn't have loved to observe that? And Solomon, King Solomon said, one day you're going to be sent to exile, and in the land of your enemies you're going to take it to heart, and then you're going to return. That's why when Jews read these texts, and then we're at some stage in our lives, maybe for me it was 17, 18, we begin to encounter the theology of other religions. We're going, what are you, what are you talking mm. about? This is the the, the, the teachings of, of Paul, of Romans, and is opposed by the Torah completely. You know, when people say God will open your eyes, take scales off of your head, we're going, what are you talking about? about. We're just looking at the Torah. We're going the Mm. Torah here says you'll return to Hashem. It's it's a completely I mean when when Jews are shocked by Christian teachings it's for this reason because we're looking at these texts and there's no Christian voice in the Torah.
0: No, but we we will be talking about some Christian theology in the coming passage Mm. but first verse 4 which I love being uh, in Australia or Victoria, the southern tip of Victoria Mm. uh, it says in verse 4 if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts of heaven uh, under heaven Uh, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and persecute you, and you will again obey the voice of the Lord your God to do his commandments, which I command you today. The Can Lord just, your God will. Be- sorry, please
2: Yeah, just because uh, just um, Can just I go after
0: Jason? I'm
2: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say I'm and you might. <laughs> it doesn't say that you might or that you could it says you will return right. this this is right. a prophetic yes. full oh, yes. stop saying don't worry this is definitely going to happen you're right. coming home and i think that's a mm. wonderful uh, thing to remember That this isn't just um this isn't really up to you god's this is going to happen whether you mm. want it to mm. or not uh, yeah. this is done deal and we have to remember that done deal even when things get really rough and at the moment things look pretty rough um this is going to happen it's it's good to go we've got his seal on it
0: and, but having said that, it does throw in here uh, in verse ten uh, begins with the word "if," and I always find that a little disconcerting it's because not this is really such
1: a—it's not him. It's Jason's um, exegesis is on target. Key It's the exact same word as we find in verse one. It means that when it'll happen, because it'll happen, it really is prophetic that. This is what's going to happen in exile, that all this... Pain that was described, the the affliction described, really not because God just wants to stomp your brains out and wants to destroy <laughs> you, but He wants you to repent. Now, if you only read up to verse chapter twenty nine and never read verse thirty, you just be on the floor and just say, "What's the point yeah. of going on?" Yeah. The, the, I, yeah, this is so Joel. You know, when Joel describes what's going to happen. You think it's all over when Isaiah recalls Sodom and Gomorrah in the beginning of in, in the in the beginning of of his first book we're we're gone and that's exactly what's happening here incidentally we see also um, the term circumcising the heart I want to be clear because I know a lot of people ask this that Mm -hmm. term is used twice in the torah and it's used once back in deuteronomy chapter 10 i believe it's verse 16 where Mm -hmm. there god calls upon us to circumcise our our hearts Mm -hmm. which means like jason said not just outwardly to say we walk through okay we got it but really to make a difference inside of you to change who you are and stop stop with the secret kind of thing well outwardly and so on and now and now we have the other circumcised heart if And that's right here. And that is if you do what God prescribes in Deuteronomy chapter 10, that you circumcise your heart, then God will finish it off and will -hmm. will bring you forward. A bowl of attire, he who comes to purify himself, Messiah the Almighty will then make a close and bring the blessings and help you and open your eyes. Just take that first step. How many people, I'm asking you, the, both of you, because you would know this, how many people in the church, the first thing is, even though they're still Christian, they've been to question the doctrine of the Trinity and they reject it they still mm-hmm. haven't but they they say you know what the trinity is a later christian invention it's a later christian reflection i reject it completely and mm-hmm. that's where it begins it's not isaiah 40 in my experience In the vast majority cases the people who leave the church and repent uh, of this of the of this idolatry of this foreign worship it begins by rejecting the idolatry and just saying I don't accept the Trinity once that happens you'd ask well why can't people just continue as Christians but reject the doctrine of the Trinity the answer is that once people make that step forward and reject the idolatry ensconced in the church Hashem then opens up doors and then everything else becomes begins to open
0: before them. They begin Mm -hmm. to see everything else. Hashem just draws them close. But just make that first step. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hands, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good. For for the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers if you obey. Now, you're saying when you obey Mm. the voice. Okay, so when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, and when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, now, Jason, mm. we did a program, didn't, didn't we? Do I seem to recall? You must be. It could have even been years ago. <laughs> Can we say that now about? <laughs> yeah, stuff we've there Yeah, There was,
2: especially the Hebrew stuff. That was, I think, two years ago now.
0: Yeah, Three was a years, years, yeah, maybe it was. So, didn't we do one on Romans chapter ten? Yeah, of course. Oh,
2: we did. Yeah, we did one between. Um, the, it was. It was the, yeah, we did. The name was of, the, name
0: of the Lord. Funny. Yeah, from what I recall, because this is one of my little. This is one of my favourite things that that Paul did. It's just because it's as if he really. And I mean, I don't mean to offend any Christians, but it really is as if he's taken some sort of hallucinogenic, and he's. And he's tripping away.
2: I think he got like a really, like some sort of um, heat stroke or some heavy knock to the head.
1: Well, <laughs> <Maybe>. he, <laughs> you know, the trigger just uh, this is huge what you're about to encounter. And this is huge what Jason John was speaking about. Because although the vast majority of Paul's writings, and we have his writings, are mm. addressed to non-Jews, Romans chapter ten is one of those few places where Paul is turning to the Jews to convert to Christianity. Mm. Romans chapter ten begins by saying, calling out to his own fellow Jews, and that and and that's how it begins. and and then he begins with taking and ripping this these passages to pieces, to pieces. Com- shattering them, because just think about what he is saying.
0: He, he's going to say well, that he, let, he's well, going to reject. It. I don't want to say anything. Just go. Do it. Yes. I, I'm going I'm to compare them, because this is what it says in the Torah. It says, and, and this is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, for this, is, uh, this, this, blah, 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 for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us uh, and, and bring it back that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Now, this is what Paul does with the passage. Romans chapter 10, verse 6. I'm coming in halfway through verse 6. It says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, not over the sea, but into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth, uh, the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Tobia. This
1: is this is shocking because the the context is, and I hope that no one tuned into the show halfway in and think that we're preaching <laughs> Romans. I was just thinking, I was going, someone like some Hasidic Jew in Brooklyn just went and said, "What are they talking?" about? The, he actually introduces this that Jesus is. If you go to Romans chapter ten verse four, that Jesus is the end of the Lord to anyone who believes. So Paul is preaching the Torah is done with and finished. And then he, the Torah is saying the opposite. Any missionary will say to you, you can't do it. Ray Comfort, one of your boys from Australia, yeah, he has yeah. this whole deal on the street preaching. Says, Could you keep the commandments? It's too hard. Did, haven't you sinned? Didn't you? Did you ever have a bad thought? They have a whole mm-hmm. program on how to convert yeah. people. I yeah. know. I used to work for them. I'm kidding. So they, <laughs> they, 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 you watch them. It's the same deal. The Torah is saying, never say such a thing. This is the key. The Torah anticipates every teaching of the church. saying the church is going to say, you can't keep the law. It's not impossible. The Torah says, it's not too difficult. It's not in heaven. The law you could, that you say, who will bring it down to us and do it? It's not over the sea who could do it. The word, look at verse 14. The word is close to you that you, and then the word, end, the, the passage ends, that you may do it, and what does Paul do? It's unbelievable. Cuts it out. He cut, He takes out a knife. He takes out a, a scalpel, and he literally cuts out those words. How do you play with the word of God? How do you alter the original text? And if you're going to, if you're going to uh, injure, if you're going to tamper with the word of Hashem, you think I'm going to get baptized? You think I'm going to convert to Christianity? Hmm. How do you play with it? And Paul's—it's not that Paul's got like a different spin on this. This is, he is attacking the very message. The message is, Keep the Torah. The message is the Torah is the only way. Is returning to it. Paul is saying, verse four, that Christ is the end of the law. How do? You, it means Paul is literally trying to prove the very opposite of the original. But what happens for most Christians is they never read Deuteronomy thirty. I, I, I'm sorry to say it, but after thirty years of speaking to Christians, they don't read Deuteronomy. 30. Mm. They're reading Romans chapter ten, and from that, th- that's what they're extrapolating their theology. Paul is not just teaching something different or adding to the law. He he is—he's burning, trying to burn down the Torah, and he literally says it's the end of the law. And he then rips apart Deuteronomy chapter thirty. How do you take out the words that you may do it? How do you say that? Jesus will that Jesus will uh, will will, will um, that Jesus will go down to the abyss that uh, who will go to heaven that is Jesus Christ how do you do that how do you change that how do you put words in there in in the thing and cross reference your Christian Bible you'll see the footnotes
0: are right there the passage is absolutely molested here by Paul in a way that you know you have to wonder if he's smoking something i mean how do you say Because it it says, you know, who will go over the, the sea to bring it back to us. But not Paul, no. Do better than the sea. Let's go down to the abyss and bring up Christ from the dead. I mean, not only does it say, does it cut out, as you will point out, that you may do it, but he inserts there, of course, the word that is the word of faith which we preach, not actually what we're talking about here in Deuteronomy, but the word that we preach, which I remind you is the uh, that if you believe in Jesus Christ uh, in, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved an entirely different kettle of fish uh, bludgeoning I, I suppose of the uh the text that he borrows from
1: yeah i mean i, I say to you who is the christian listener Read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Read these passages in context 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Read it and ask you, and then read Romans as John just did and ask yourself, what did Paul do here? How did he change the word of God? He he literally, Paul is literally says in context, he says that Christ is the end of the law. Where does that famous statement come from? It comes from right over here. The context is that Moses wrote about the righteousness of the law. But now there's a new thing that 's why he literally mm. in verse five and six it's really start- startling. Paul literally is going to war with the God of Israel. He says Moses wrote it about the, right Moses wrote about the man who does the thing will live by them. But, 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 and in contrast we 've got a new thing, a new yeah. thing you 're misquoting you 're misquoting the, the prophet Moses completely, and this mm. of course is very I mean when people ask how do we know Galatians was written by paul Because exactly what it says in Galatians three contrasting the covenant that God made with Moses on Mount Sinai, and then somehow there 's a contrast where the covenant is by faith, and there he 's going to use Abraham how do you, ch- it's, it's a complete change and if someone, I, I say to you Christians who write to me every day and saying that maybe I'll become like Paul and I'll become this mm. you're like, please, ha- how do you change the word of Hashem? How do you mm. accept such thing? Paul in Romans is writing to a church he hadn't yet uh, he hadn't yet been to, unlike any of the other writings, and he's writing to people who are both Jews and non-Jews there, which is different than Galatians. How do you change the word of Hashem? How do you alter such a text? It's, mm. it's an That's- opposite message. He's literally stomping his foot on the Torah literally calling it a piece and he saying that this is the new thing and he's quoting as though Moses is saying this and Moses Mm. is saying the exact opposite you can do it in Christian theology you cannot keep the message you cannot repent there is no initiative there is no works if you if what I'm saying to you sounds strange that means you've never stepped into a church in your life but if you've ever stepped into a church what you're going to be told is there is no works that you can perform nothing that you can do that can bring about your your own salvation No initiative of yours can save you. And that's why only believe in Jesus, only that can save you. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. That's Mm. opposed by the very passages that that, that he is uh,
0: uh, putatively uh, quoting. Indeed. And so uh, for listeners who don't yet have a copy, uh, let's get biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah, Volumes 1 and 2? You're going to get this in much more detail. If this is all news to you, I strongly uh, recommend these books. You can get them at outreachjudaism.org people ask, well, how do Jews
1: get saved? Like, like people ask me, like, so what, are, yep. like, how did Jews get saved? That's exactly what is going to come into view now. If you've ever asked the question, well, how did how Jews get saved? Uh-huh. What is God's salvation program for the human race? If you've ever asked that question, here is, is your answer. This is what God, now, if you want to know why Jews read this poem, Right before Rosh Hashanah,
0: bingo. This is the reason. This is it. See, I have set before you today life, good, death, and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But I just want to just make clear
1: what the text says is the two things God wants from you. Number one, if if you good and life means the following: to have a personal relationship with God and to be faithful and obedient to His commandments. Mm-hmm. Period. That is mm-hmm. it. Now, there's no, yeah. well, you know. It was, what, why you know why did he put it there, you know something for the Book of John? No, there's nothing like that. This is totally ridiculous. Go ahead now, now, What's now it? we're going to go now. How do you get
0: yourself into trouble? Now here's the flip side. S- verse 17. However, your heart, if your heart turns away, so that you do not hear and are drawn away, and, and by worship- the way, I apologize. I forgive Please? me. We we okay. contrasted the word "key," which means when, yes.
1: okay, or because. It's mm. connected. If you look at Pasuk Yudzai in verse 17, the word there is really an if. The im, there's your if word. Ah, uh, really? So yeah, yeah, look at the Hebrew. Thank you for in, highlighting that. Yeah, yeah, so that's, you see, a different word. The im yif if your heart will turn away. But this like, is a, legit, if, a legitimate if. Right, the im. This is a total if that if your heart will turn away, vloisishma, and you will not listen, like from the word shema. It's so delicious. Mm-hmm. It's such. A, my friends, the Hebrew language is so small. It's the same
0: word over and over again with very. It's all there. Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry, I can't You're right. No, it's great. No, if you're. Now, I'm really glad that you highlighted the the difference uh, in the word in the English use of the word if here. Um, that's good because it's very clarifying. Uh, If your heart turns away so that you do not hear and you are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan, to go and possess, I call heaven and earth Mm. as witnesses Mm. against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Yeah. Uh,
1: And you should choose life and so that you and your children shall live. It can't mm. be anything more graphic than that. That you just choose life, don't don't choose the other way, and that means have a relationship with me. If you step forward, if you turn to me, I will turn to you. Just make mm. that one step, even if you walk away from the doctrine of Trinity and reject that, then Hashem will bring you into his Torah. Just mm. take that step towards him, and God will then you start circumcising your heart, God will circumcise your heart. Take a step to him, and he will take a step to you. Very much like a bride and a groom. Just the
0: bride moves forward, and the groom then takes her and escorts her. It's really very powerful. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. Cling, I love that. You may cling to him, for he is your life. I love that, Chovia. I love that. This is one of my favorite. I'm just going to read this again. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to give, your, uh, give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. To give them Saviour. That's yeah. the way our Torah portion ends. It's,
1: it's it's magnificent. So now, my holy friends, this is this is the this is really the completion of Deuteronomy twenty-eight. Now you understand what's going on. That was Deuteronomy Leviticus twenty-six has a a a, a saying: "I won't utterly destroy; you. I will preserve it." But you see here we're looking at of course something that is completely fulfilled now in what we hope we believe is the messianic age which means that the you see that the restoration here is enormous returning to the land the land blossoming all of these things when you return and that's what just as mark twain observed the land that was that was whole, was completely uh, decayed nothing grew desolate. there it's mm. desolate completely now we're looking at a land where everything is growing and hashem's that we are observing please god the 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 promises of hashem the epic oracles of our of our great teachers of blessed memory we're observing observing these prophecies unfold before our eyes right now
0: mm. thank you jason of spiritual babies.net tovia singer of outreach Judaism.org. that's outreach Judaism.org. also Tobiasinger.tv is where you'll find all of Tobias' videos soon. In just how many weeks away? Ah, uh, seven th- weeks. We're going to be in the land, all of us. We've yes. filled the bus. We're going to be there. It's absolutely booked out. If you wanted to come, it's too late, but you can put a deposit down on next year's tour. We will be going again if you book uh, before the end of the year, before the end of the Roman calendar. Um, then you'll get a five percent discount, early bird discount. So don't uh, don't miss out on that. Now, uh, next, next week is kicking off from chapter 31. It is the second last Torah portion. Until then, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's word.